how about you be the boss of your own applesauce? All of Jesus' teachings and miracles uh, went up in smoke when he was crucified. The disciples hoped that Jesus was the Messiah vanished. Oh, just like all the other messiahs that came along. Now he's dead and hanging on a tree. Our hopes have been dashed again. But then he was resurrected. (laughs) And everything he said and did and taught was not only validated, but punctuated with an exclamation mark. Aren't you thankful for that? We have a resurrected Savior. Jesus introduced a, a brand new covenant, a brand new way of knowing God. It was a resurrection religion. All the do not commands that Jesus gave his disciples didn't make any sense until after the resurrection. Don't be afraid, he told the disciples. Don't sin, don't worry, don't doubt. The do not command I want to talk about this morning is probably the most quoted command, especially among unbelievers directed toward us as Christians. It's one of the things Jesus said that people throw back in our faces all the time. It probably hasn't been long since you heard this. Be the boss of your own applesauce. (laughs) Or maybe they said it like this. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You have no right to judge me. You have no right to size me up and write me off. In fact, Jesus acted the one that said, do not judge. You see, when Jesus came to earth, the Jews in Jesus' time were extremely judgmental. You read the gospels and you see some of the, what they do and what they say and how they treat people and you say, wow, I mean, how can, they, how can they act like that? How can they do that to other people? Even as Christians, it's easy to become self-righteous, to, to, to judge people and to write them off. You know, it, it's pretty easy for us religious people to get judgmental pretty quickly. So right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he said, do not judge. So I got to think, you know, why are people so judgmental? Well, this was probably me in my early days. I run across people. We judge because we're jealous. What do you mean by that? Well, we see sinners having more fun than we are. (laughs) And uh, we're mad because, after all, we're righteous, you know. And they seem to be getting away with, with some stuff that I can't get away with because my religion won't let me. And then if my religion won't let me, you shouldn't be able to either. I like what Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, says. He says, if sin isn't fun at first, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> if sin isn't fun at first, you're doing it wrong. Sometimes we as religious people see folks enjoying their sin. It looks like they're getting by with it. Their noses aren't growing. And the more sinful they are, the better it seems life is for them. And here we are trying to obey God. And we're not enjoying our Christianity Have you ever talked to Christians who seem to be happy there's a hell? I mean, they know they aren't going there, but they know some people who are. That'll teach you to have so much fun. If you think people are getting by with their sin, then really you don't understand sin. There's an old Southern gospel song that goes like this. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll always cost you more than you want to pay. Have you discovered that to be true in your life? I've discovered that to be true. The other reason we judge is because we're self-righteous. Self-righteousness is grounded in arrogance and ignorance. 
Self-righteous people compare themselves to others, but they kind of keep God on a leash when it comes to their own life. Well, I'm so much better than her and I, I would never do that. And I can't believe they do that. And, and, and I can't believe they're so-and-so and, and they're so-and-so and so-and-so and on it goes. It's easy for self-righteous people to judge other people, yet they have tamed God. They got God on a leash when it comes to their own lives. When you're self-righteous, you dumb down God's holiness and you elevate your own. Because of arrogance and ignorance, the self-righteous are rarely self-aware. And I want you to remember that word, self-aware. There's this thing when I was, I forget what class is in. It's called the Jahari window. It's four, four quadrants and it talks about yourself. There's four quadrants. There are those things we know about ourselves and everybody else can see about us. Then there's another quadrant. There's those things we know about ourselves that other people don't know about us. Then there's things that other people can see in us and know about us, but we don't see it in ourselves. And then there's those things that we don't see it in us and other people can't see it in us. So it takes the Holy Spirit working in our lives to reveal those things to us. So it's important to be self-aware and to listen, especially as God tries to speak into our lives. You know, religion tends to be judgmental. That makes this a very important knot. Another very important reason is that this is an important knot is that do not judge is not all that Jesus said. It was the beginning of a discussion but unfortunately, that's all people remember. So we're going to look at what else Jesus said about this. You know, don't criticize me. Don't compare me to anyone else, especially if they're living better than me. <laughs> don't compare me. Don't confront me about anything I do because ultimately it's none of your business. Isn't that what people mean when they say, don't judge me? Don't judge me, period. Except when Jesus said, said that, there wasn't a period after don't judge me, there was a comma. Matthew 7, 1, do not judge, comma, or you too will be judged. So the next time somebody judges you, instead of saying, don't judge me, we probably should say, do not judge, or you will be judged. Do not judge, because you're going to be judged too. Isn't that better, perhaps? Jesus is saying that how you judge is going to come back to you. From the same way, Matthew 7, verse 2, from the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Are you a merciful person or a judgmental person? So you better be careful because it's going to come back to you. So basically what Jesus is teaching, judge others like you want to be judged. So the question is, how do you want to be judged? Well, let me answer first. First of all, I don't want to be judged. <laughs> do any of us? I don't care how constructive your criticism is, it doesn't feel very constructive, right? First of all, I don't want to be judged, but if you're going to judge me, I want you to judge me mercifully. When you judge me, I want you to take into account the family I was raised in. I want you to take into account the way I've been treated by other people. I want you to take into account all my insecurities. I want you to take in, into account my entire history. I want you to take into account the temptations I've struggled with. I want you to take into, into, into account that I, I had to learn to mask my face and my countenance because dad would beat me half to death and he'd throw me over on the couch and said, now, if you cry, I'm going to give you more where that came from. So if you judge me, I want you to judge me mercifully, taking all of that into account, okay? My entire story. Isn't that the way you want to be judged? 
Thankfully, that's how God judges. He doesn't need a discovery process. He knows it all. He knows everything about you. Before someone sizes you up and writes you off, you want them to take into account all of you, not just one behavior, not just that one bad tattoo or that one bad hair day, okay, or, or, or whatever, you know, not just on one thing. And on and on it goes. And Jesus goes, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Matthew 7, 3, sawdust. So there's something in their eye and you've noticed it. There's something wrong with her and he does have a problem. It's okay to notice it and have an opinion, right? Uh, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, I wish I could have found the cartoon, but there's a cartoon. It's, It's funny, it really is. Think about a cartoon, a guy standing there, you know, saw a little bit of sawdust in his eye. Another guy's standing there with a plank coming out of his eye, you know. It's, it's a pretty, pretty drastic contrast. So why don't you judge someone that's got a speck of dust in their eye when you've got a plank sticking out of your own eye? It's a fairly easy question to answer. The first reason I might look at the speck of sawdust in your eye and not the plank in mine, it's, it's a lot more fun to look at the dust in your eye than, than the plank in mine because it distracts me from the plank in mine. The things that are messed, about, about, messed up about you make me feel better about me. <laughs> the reason I do this because it's easier on me and it detracts me, distracts me from the fact that I have issues as well. So it makes me feel better about me. The other answer to this question is, <laughs> honestly, Jesus, come on. I didn't, I didn't notice the plank in my eye. I mean, I see sawdust in there. Obviously, you know, that's what's wrong with them. Now, again, that's an obvious lack of Self-awareness. Then Jesus, who is so brilliant, clarifies the not in the judge not. Jesus takes us right to the heart of the issue. This is why you judge not. How can you say to your brother, I mean, how can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank sticking out of your eye, you hypocrite. Verse four, I didn't say it, Jesus did. Jesus is saying, why are you... Why are you pointing out what's wrong with someone else when you have something worse wrong with you? Then he punctuates it with these two words that none of us want to hear, you hypocrite. If you want to know what a hypocrite is by Jesus' definition, here it is. It's someone who's more fascinated by what is wrong with someone else than they are than what's wrong with them. Someone who is more occupied, preoccupied, and interested with fixing other people than fixing themselves. Now that sounds kind of harsh, but I think it's true. I have my issues, you have your issues. I should, I should focus on my stuff and let other people worry about their stuff. I think it was my granddaughter's preschool teacher, if I get the story right, uh, who coined the phrase I used. My granddaughter, Leanna, came home from, from school and uh, her, her preschool teacher had started using the phrase, be the boss of your own applesauce. You know how kids are, they get bossy with each other and all that. So Leanna came home and, and she shared that. And so her mom used it some and I kind of picked up on I kind of like it. Uh, she says, be the boss for your own applesauce. I mean, it does sound better than mind your own business, doesn't it? Or okay, don't judge me. I've said it to my wife a couple of times. It sounds better. It just sounds better than quit being so bossy. It's like, be the boss of your own applesauce, honey. <laughs> oh, okay. That's great. Okay, let's pray and go home. Well, but Jesus doesn't stop there. In fact, 
This is what's so amazing. This is where Jesus actually begins the lesson. Not only does he say, do not judge, not only does that have a comma, a comma after it, when he gets to you hypocrite, there's no period. He continues, you hypocrite first. I dare you to look into other people's lives before looking into what's going on in your life. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly. Oh, now I see. Okay, when I see how messed up you are, it reminds me how to figure out how messed up I am, okay? So basically, I'm gonna, I'm gonna examine me and, and become a better version of me because your issues have helped me confront and overcome my issues. Oh, right, great. So, so what's the second thing we should do? Here's the thing I hope we, we never forget because this is at the heart of what Christianity is all about. If you know, what Christian, if you know Christians that you don't get along with, or if you've met Christians that make you not like Christians or the church, then what Jesus is about to say perhaps is a thing you miss because it's so easy to miss. Following Jesus never stops with what's in it for me. Never. Never stops with what's in it for me. Following Jesus at the end of the day is about leveraging what God has done in our lives and what he's done in me for the sake of other people because at the epicenter of Jesus' teaching, love one another the way I have loved you. That's the center of it. I discovered this when we were going through in the first days of our grieving when we lost our three-year-old grandson. Ran across this scripture in Corinthians that said, you know, God is the God of all comfort and he comforts us so that we in the same way can do what? Comfort others. Another example of what he does in my life, he doesn't just do it for me. He does it for me so he can leverage it in my life to come along beside others and help them. That's what Christianity's about. Love one another. We're to speak into other people's lives because we love them and genuinely care for them, not because we're nosy or we're bossy. The problem is self-righteousness and jealousy get in the way of love. But self-awareness paves the way to the kind of love Jesus asks us to exhibit to one another. Judge not does not equate to care not. Judge not does not equal act not. Judge not does not equal to react not. Judge not does not portray itself as I'm going to mind my own business, you mind yours. Because love forbids me from sizing you up and writing you off. Love forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. Love forbids me from simply minding my own business when for your benefit, your business may needed minding. Now that's not judgmental. That's love. So what was Jesus actually teaching? Take the plank out of your eye in preparation for removing the speck from your brother's eye. Why? So you can help others. Jesus doesn't just end this teaching with do not judge. The teaching of Jesus addresses at least three different audiences. And most of us are in at least one of those audiences. First audience is you size people up and write them off. You're self-righteous. You know, when you read through the Gospels, the thing that Jesus despised the most, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
Jesus gets the most emotional because self-righteous people dumb down the holiness of God and they actually jack up their own holiness and their own self-righteousness. And Jesus, who died for our sin through his actions, is wondering, how in the world can they do that? How can they act like that? How do they treat people like that? You know the Bible, you're religious, perhaps you're older, you've overcome all kinds of stuff in your life and you can't figure out why other people can't just suck it up and overcome it like you did. You've never done anything all that bad. You can't understand why people continue to do bad things. The thing you should do in response to what Jesus had, has taught us is just a two-syllable a, a two word that perhaps you've never applied to yourself, and you should. And that word is repent. Repent of self-righteousness because it drove Jesus crazy, and it still does. If the sin of others doesn't break your heart, are you hearing me? If the sin of other people doesn't break your heart, it's probably because your heart has never been broken over your own sin. If your initial reaction to others is judgment, then you probably have never come face to face with your own sinfulness. In fact, God's word says, we all have sinned, right? We all start out in the same boat. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of God's glory. But he reminds us that God just didn't say I love you. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while you were sinners, he sent his son, Christ Jesus, to die for each one of us. Simple as that. You invite him in. <laughs> Start walking with him. He's your best friend. He'll be the best guide you ever had. The second audience is you size people up and you walk away. Uh, you see people and you know, man, their life is messed up. And whew. But for the grace of God, there go I. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not like them. Hallelujah. You saved me from all that. And that's, I'm, I'm glad he did. He saved me from a lot of stuff too. When you see people with all their problems and you just refuse. Not, not, I'm grateful for what you've done for me, Lord, but don't ask me to get involved in anybody else's lives. It's none of my business. Confronting people about their stuff is not insensitive. It's what love requires. But make sure you've, you've earned a right to do that, okay, to speak into their lives. You know, make sure that you've got that kind of relationship and they know you care for them. Confronting people about their stuff is not insensitive. It's what love requires. Like the old song says, I can see clearly now the plank is gone, right? Remember that song? <laughs> I think it was rain. <laughs> I can see all opticals in my way. Gone are the planks of wood that had me blind. It's going to be a bright, bright, sunshiny day. Well, you can see what sin's doing to her. You can see what that habit's doing to him. You can see what that activity is doing to their family. We don't see clearly just for the sake of seeing clearly. We see clearly for the benefit of helping people around us. It's what love requires us to do. Love doesn't size people up and write them off. It doesn't size people up and then walk away. Thank God, I'm not like that. And if that's the case right now, you need to repent. And secondly, if you're in that second group, you need to confront. And you know exactly who you need to talk to. And don't ever talk to anybody about anything unless you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit. Make sure it's not just your pet peeve, okay? Make sure it's not something that just drives you crazy personally. Make sure it's really something that, you know, is in God's word and you can see is really going to mess up their life and, and you want to speak love into their life. Now, you know, it's 
Sometimes they'll listen, sometimes they won't. You've all had kids, right? <laughs> I mean, you can talk to them until you're blue in the face, but sometimes they just got to discover it for themselves. That's just human nature, isn't it? Just make sure it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, when I was in the ministry, I've had to confront people a few times about some things. And 80 to 90% of the time, they either said or they're thinking, it's none of your business. Uh, folks, some of you think that that's just the pastor's job, okay? This isn't just the pastor's job. This is the job of the brothers and sisters of the brothers and sisters. This is how Christians one another, one another. This is how you use what God has done in your life for the benefit of somebody else. There's a third, a third audience. That third audience is you've been sized up, but you refuse to listen. Oh, I've been there. Someone has come to you about something and they've tried to speak into your life and you've written them off just as being judgmental. They're just nosy busybodies. It's none of their business. And as soon as they started, you said, don't judge me. And they said, I'm not judging. I'm just trying to help you because I love you. And you said, well, mind your own business because you have no right to judge me. But in your heart, you knew that they were right. In your heart, you knew they were onto something. In your heart, you knew something needed to change. I want to make a statement here. Remember the word self-awareness? If that's the only thing you remember. You need others. You know, I mean, we are independent uh, people. I mean, as Americans, that's kind of just part of our DNA, right? We're proud of our freedom. We love our independence. And don't tell me what to do. It's none of your business. I mean, that's just kind of what our culture is. But there's, we got to be careful as Christians because as Christians, we're part of a community of faith. We're part of a body of believers. What we do and say not only affects our life, it affects those people that know us. It affects the body. It affects our friends. And instead of just focusing on my freedom, hey, think about the other side too. With freedom comes responsibility, right? Jesus says, love others. You know, there's a lot of things we'll do because of love. And we won't be out there beating the bandwagon. It's my freedom. And that's just part of our DNA. That's what, that's what made us a nation, really. You know, our, we came out under oppression. We just need to be careful as God's children to make sure that, that we're, first of all, as children of God's kingdom, that we act like a child of God, right, first. Everything comes under that. When you say he is Lord, as Christians, he is Lord. He is above everything else. And we get our marching orders from him. The statement is defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. Somebody comes to you and, and wants to speak into your life I've always learned to listen as a pastor. You know, I had a lot of people, you know, sideline. I mean, they were, they wanted to speak into my life, tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing. So I always took it to the Lord. I said, you know, is what they just said about me true? If it is, Lord, I want you to show it to me. Our immediate, we immediately want to get defensive. But really, we should be humble. Defensiveness ensures that your past will continue to show up in your future. Now, no one confronts other people perfectly. I'm, on, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm coming in for landing now, okay? My wife was teasing me this morning in the, in the car. 
And I, you know, she, we went to a funeral and I, I sang for the funeral and she goes, oh, it's a good weekend for me. I, I got to hear you sing yesterday. I get to hear you preach today. Isn't she a nice wife? She says, but just why don't you make it a short one? <laughs> we have a, we laugh in our family because my father-in-law was dying, Sharon's dad, and he was a pastor all his life. And one of the guys that got saved under his ministry, he, he came and prayed for, for dad when he was dying and laying there in, in, in the bed. And the guy prayed a long prayer. Was it in the middle of the prayer he said enough? Can't remember. Anyway, he's, yeah, in the middle of the prayer he goes, that's enough. We, we didn't know whether he was asleep or listening or he goes, that's enough. And so the next time the guy came to, to visit dad and pray for him, mom asked dad, she his mom, he goes, dad, can, can brother Miley pray for you? And he, he didn't open his eyes or nothing. We didn't know if he could hear. He goes, just a short one. <laughs> it was great. So this morning, Sharon goes, just a short one. <laughs> you know, no, we never confront people perfectly. I don't care how long you pray. I don't care how much you prepare. I don't care how much you practice. When you confront someone, it never goes great. At least in my experience. One time in my life, it did go great. And that's because the people received it with a humble spirit. And before it was over, we all got down and prayed together. And the relationship between the husband and wife was restored. And it was just a great time. But the key is our attitude. If somebody comes to us, do we have a humble spirit? Because that's the key. I'm amazed when I, did, when I did marriage counseling and stuff. You know, they're in there and she's the same person he married and he's the same person she married. And the same qualities that attracted them to each other are still there. The one thing that changed in the relationship, the one thing that changed was their attitude toward each other. And their attitude reflects and how they perceive everything from that person. We don't confront perfectly. And you use the imperfection of the way that they approach you as an excuse. But if you continue to be defensive, all it does is ensure that your past will continue to show up in your future. If that's you, then the application this morning is, listen. They weren't being judgmental. They took the risk to love you like Jesus requires them to love you. So three audiences, you size people up, and write them off. You need to repent. You size people up and walk away. Perhaps you need to confront. You, you've been sized up, but you refuse to listen. The admonition is listen. Some of us may need to take the first step in getting the plank out of our eye this morning. Are any of you here in group one? Then simply repent. Are any of you here in group two? Then ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Help that person in the most loving way that you can. Are you group three? Then hard head, start listening. <laughs> when I say that, I say it to me. I pray God will give you the wisdom to know what to do next. And if you do this, take a, it, it's a huge step in learning not to judge in a way that, that we're not to judge. But even better, we're taking a giant step toward loving the way our Savior has invited us to love. Father, what your word has to say to us is just a little bit too clear and too practical and too transparent. And in our heart, you're faithful, Holy Spirit. You're so personal. You know us so, so well. You know how to speak to us. 
You know how to get our attention. May we listen to that quiet voice. As we do, we'll know what needs to happen next in our lives. Lord, give us the wisdom to know what to do next and and then the courage to do it. I pray that in the next few days, some folks will be lovingly and gently confronted about stuff in their life they need to face. Perhaps they need us just to come up beside them and pay attention and and come along beside them as they walk this, man, this, this tough journey called life. It's tough sometimes. Lord, maybe some folks need to go to other people who love them and say, you know, you were right. I was defensive. I should have listened. Some of us need to repent of self-righteousness, which makes, really, it upsets you because, <laughs> Jesus, you are God and you came, you're, you're the full revelation of who God is. You're the ultimate revelation of who God is. And we see how you reacted to self-righteous people. It made you sick. And apart from your grace, Lord, we are all condemned sinners. We had no righteousness. We had no holiness. We had no hope for the future. Then we heard about you. Thank you for pursuing us. When we were running from you as fast as we could run, your arms are still outstretched. Thank you, Father, that when I lost someone very dear to me, you allowed me to have my temper tantrum. You let me lay on the floor and kick my feet. <laughs> and you said, when you're, when you're all done with that, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still God. I still love you. I'm still working all things together for your good. So trust me. Give us wisdom to know, Lord, and the courage to obey, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.